to make sure to congratulate her for Sweet 16. Happy birthday, Sabrina. Okay, sit down. Catch your breath after that last song. Whew. Everything. Well, good morning, everyone. It's nice to see everybody here and, and our people that are visiting. Thanks for, thanks for the drive. What an encouragement to, you know, we have people visiting from Markleyville and uh, everything. Brother, good to see you again. So, um, yeah, I think that this is the Deacon's Fund thing too, right, Martin? So uh, the Deacon's Fund in the offering box back there, if you want to tithe to our Deacon's Fund, please put that in the offering box back there today also. And that would be great. So after one of the songs, I, I figured that maybe I should preach through Isaiah 53. So what a, what a sombering song, but what a, a true reality. But I won't be preaching there today. So, but let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray, and then we'll get started. Father, we just thank you that we can all gather here today, Lord, as your redeemed as your blood-bought people, Father, and that we can come and worship you in our singing and worship you in our giving and worship you in our preaching of your word, Lord. I just pray that Christ would be put on glorious display today, Lord, that we would be encouraged and that we would be um, encouraged by your love for us, encouraged by your grace for us, encouraged by your mercy for us, Lord. And I just ask, Father, that as I preach, Lord, that it would be your words and not mine. I pray the scripture we read would come with power, Lord, as it is from you. I pray your spirit would come and accompany the preaching and convict us where we need to be convicted, Father, and lift us up where we need to be lifted. May we see Christ today, Lord, in all of his glory as we come to remember him this communion Sunday, Father. We just ask this all in your name. Amen. So if you would, please open your Bibles or turn your phones on or your pads, whatever you have, to Hebrews, to Hebrews chapter 1. We'll be taking a break out of 1 Timothy and then we will dive into 1 Timothy next week. We'll, we'll be back in the first Timothy next week, so in Hebrews. So the title of the sermon is The Excellency of Jesus, and do we see Jesus as being excellent? Excellent is defined as extremely good or outstanding. Extremely good or outstanding. It is something that we strive for in our daily lives is to be excellent, to be excellent in our jobs, in the work that we do, to be excellent in our worship. We should strive to be excellent in our worship, to be extremely good or outstanding in our preaching and in our teaching and in our singing and in our giving as we, as we come and we meet together. We, we strive to be excellent in our hobbies, Right? Our hobbies, we strive to be better and better at them. Or our passions, we, we, we try to get a, if our passion is photography, we try to get a little better eye or a little better light or a little better spot. We're, we're always looking to get that perfect, excellent picture is what we look at. So whatever we see 
or whatever we think, we're always trying to be excellent in them. But we fail because we're not perfect. We're not perfectly excellent in everything we do. The letters uh, to the Hebrews, when we read through that letter to the Hebrews, we see mainly how much more excellent Christ is than angels, than Moses, than the old sacrificial uh, laws, how more excellent he is in um, the priesthood, the Arionic priesthood. He is more excellent in there. And he's just more excellent in the old covenant because he inaugurates the new covenant. So we see this excellency of Christ. And the gospel is filled with this splendor and glory and excellence. When we think of Christ on the cross, as he dies for our sin, as he takes the wrath of God for our sin, for our one sin and our many sins, as it grows dark, as the earth quakes, as he gives up his spirit, it is excellent, it is glorious. It is where we see Christ, although he wasn't even in resemblance of a man, he is perfectly, excellently glorified as he is the perfect sacrifice. So we see this glory within the gospel. And that's how the Hebrew writer starts off. He's going to bring the excellency of who Christ is to us. And as we come to the table, this is what I want us to look at. Is Christ excellent in your life? Is he supremely outstanding Is he supremely, extremely good in our lives? So let's look at the first three verses. This is what the writer of the Hebrews says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There's nine weeks of sermons, brothers and sisters, right there. Just simple, right? But this is going to show us the excellency of Jesus. So the first thing I want us to see is that he is excellent because what? He is the son of God. He is the son of God. We see this in John 1, 1, right? Where in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Christ is excellent because he is the son of God. But what does that bring, right? So that means Christ is what? He's excellent in his speech. He's excellent in his speech. Look at Hebrews 1, 1. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. This is God's last revealed word is with with Jesus. Jesus is supremely excellent in his speech because he is supremely excellently the son. And he is um, perfect in everything that he says. Moses says it this way in Deuteronomy 18.15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. 
This is where our minds should be. When we open our word, when we open the Bible, we should have listening ears because this is God speaking to us. When we look at the Gospels and we read the red letters, this is Jesus speaking to us. But just because the red letters say Jesus' word, this is Jesus' word to us. All of it is. And it is perfect, and it is infallible, and it is errorless, and we should listen to him. So Jesus is excellent in his speech as he is the one who has spoken in these last days. Secondly, Jesus is, he is the excellent heir. That means he is the ruler of all things. All things are his. He is the heir of all things. We see that again, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Appointed is to ordain or, or to uh, set forth. Christ was ordained to be the heir of all things. He's going to put all things under subjection, under his feet. Matthew 28, Jesus says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So he is the heir of all authority. There is no authority that exists that is not from Jesus. Again in John 13, 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. What we're looking at, though, is that God has given all things into Jesus' hand. Acts 10, 36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord over all. He is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. There is nothing that he is not Lord over except one thing, us. Because oftentimes that's how we live our lives, isn't it? We live our lives that there's no king over us. I am my own king. But all things, brothers and sisters, includes you and I. He is Lord over us. We are his creation. We are his people. Romans eight seventeen, with this heir. And if children, Paul's talking to us, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. But Christ is the heir of all things. He is Lord over all things. He has authority over all things. And this makes him excellent. This makes him excellent. Third, he is excellent in creation. He is the excellent creator. He is the perfect creator. He is the one that Hebrews 2 talks about, says, and through him also he created the world. Jesus was the one that was doing the creating work. We read in Genesis that God said, God said, God said, God said. And that is true. God the Father said. But Jesus was the one creating. Jesus is God in the flesh. We have to remember this. He was in the Old Testament. He was God before anything was formed. He was there. In six days, he created all this. And God exclaims after six days that it is very good. Creation was absolutely perfect. It was excellent in every way. Why? Because the creator himself is excellent in every way. That is why. Listen to Isaiah 44, 24 as we talk about, as we hear this. Thus says the Lord, this is Yahweh, all capitals, your Redeemer, your Redeemer, 
who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. He had no help. He didn't need our help. Doesn't that shock you? That he didn't need our help? Because I'm pretty sure I could have gave him some ideas on how to do some things. You know, I mean, Job experienced that one, right? I mean, Job had all the answers, and God says, well, where were you when I formed the foundations of the earth? Gird up your loins. Let me ask you some questions. But God does it all by himself. Isaiah 45, 12, I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their hosts. John 1, 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then finally, in Colossians 1, 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Wow, what a beautiful passage. All things were created through him and for him. That means if we were blind, color would still exist. If we couldn't hear, if we were deaf, birds would still chirp because they weren't created for us. It was created for him. It was created for him, for his glory. When we look at the Grand Canyon or we look at Bryce Canyon or we look at Zion or we look at Arches National Park or we look at some of Dick's pictures on the internet with the Milky Way, that's all for him. It brings glory to him. We should stand in awe of this. We should sit back and say, wow, what a creator we have. What a creator we have. When we look at each other, we should be in awe. When we look at the human body, we should be in absolute mesmerized by how our bodies work. How our bodies work because they are created by an excellent creator. This is what makes Jesus more superior. This is what makes Jesus more excellent is he is the excellent creator. He is excellent in glory, brothers and sisters. Jesus is excellent in glory. Listen to Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He is the radiance. He's the brightness, this sending forth light. We see this in the transfiguration. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus gives a glimpse to Peter, James, and John of his glory, he, he becomes illuminated before them. He shows them this radiance, this brilliance of who he is. We have to remember Jesus himself is God. He has his own brilliance. He has his own radiance. He is the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament. When we think of that Shekinah glory, that Shekinah glory is the manifestation of God's glory. And where do we see it? We see it in the cloud at night when they're, or, or the cloud at day when the Israelites are going through the wilderness. He's leading them. That Shekinah glory is leading them in the cloud. He's the pillar of fire at night when he's leading them at night. And then when they, they settle and they build the temple, God would come into the Holy of Holies and this cloud would come and cover it, just like the cloud that covered Sinai. That's the Shekinah glory. That's Jesus Christ. That's the radiance of the glory of God. He is, he is excellent in his glory. This is who he is. Listen to John eight twelve. Jesus, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, 
I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He claims that glory. I am the light. I am the Shekinah glory. I am the radiance of the glory of God. And if you walk in me, you'll always have light. This is who he is. He is excellent in that. He is excellent in that. Listen to John 4, 6, or 2 Corinthians 4, 6. In God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is what happens. Brothers and sisters, when God regenerates you, guess what happens? That Shekinah glory shines into your heart. That Shekinah glory shines into your life. And it brings out our sin. And we run to that light. We run to that light because it's a brilliant light. It's a brilliant light. Fifth, or not fifth, but just part of this. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. The exact imprint. This exact imprint means a figure stamped, an exact copy, right? It's kind of like a penny with Lincoln's head on it. You know, that's what we're looking at. Jesus is an exact copy of the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of his nature. He shares the same nature of God. He shares the same attributes of God. If God is ultimately perfectly holy, Jesus is ultimately imperfect holy. If God is all-powerful, Jesus is all-powerful. If God is omniscient, Jesus is omniscient. If God is everywhere present, Jesus is obviously everywhere present. He is the exact imprint of his nature. John 14, it's not in there, but John 14 tells us when Jesus tells Peter, if you, or uh, uh, not Peter, I'm drawing a blank now, but Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Philip, he tells Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the exact imprint of his nature. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. Who is the image of God? He is the image of God. Corinthians, Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Colossians 2.9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. When we see Jesus, we see God. When Jesus speaks, we see, we hear God, the Father. What God the Father loves, Jesus loves. What God the Father hates, Jesus hates. He's the exact imprint. He's the exact imprint. When he walked on this planet and the disciples feasted their eyes on him, they were looking at the Father. Wow. And one day, brothers and sisters, we will see that. One day we'll see that. Jesus is not only excellent in all his glory, but he's excellent in power. He's excellent in power. Look at Hebrews 1, 3 again. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. This word is his command. This power is his strength, his might. It's where we get the word dynamite from. This dudamus, this power. In, in, in Romans it says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's the same word that is used. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. By a word he upholds it. Hebrews 7.27. Oh, hold on. 
went too far. Colossians 1.17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He holds it all together. There's not one single atom that is out of place. That is out of place. He holds it all together. It's being held all together perfectly. Brothers and sisters, we can look and we can watch the news and we can be dedicated to the news like my dad is. I know he's not here, but I'm going to throw him under the bus. <laughs> and, uh, and you want to know what? And we can look at this and say, oh man, everything's falling apart. But it's not falling apart. Jesus holds it all together. It's going exactly to plan. He holds it all together. <clears throat> Excuse me. Psalm 75.3, When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. He holds it all together. Jesus is excellent in his sacrifice. He is perfectly excellent in his sacrifice. Again, in Hebrews 1.3, not only does he hold the universe by the word of his power, he says, after making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty. This purification, this cleansing, and this purging, this is what we come to celebrate today. This is what we come to remember today is Jesus' sacrifice. But it was excellent. It's perfectly excellent. It's gloriously excellent that sacrifice is. And it wasn't just this, but it was this, it was a sacrifice of himself. He offered himself up. Him alone he offered up. Listen to Hebrews 7.27. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. He offered himself up for sin, for our sin. This is what he has done. He has purified us from our sin. Brothers and sisters, we are cleansed. We have been washed. We have been sanctified. We have been justified. And now we're waiting to be glorified because of Jesus' perfectly, gloriously, excellent sacrifice. This is where we are. Hebrews 9.12 talks about this also. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood and goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. When he entered the holiest of holiest, brothers and sisters, he secured your redemption by his blood. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of heifers sanctified for the purification of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our consciences from dead works to serve the living God? His sacrifice is superior to bulls and goats and calves because bulls and goats and calves could never take away sin. But Jesus takes away sin. His sacrifice takes away sin. It is excellent. It is supreme. And it is once and for all. That's it. Once and for all. 1 John 3, 5 says it this way. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin. This is what he has done. And in him there is no sin. But he has taken away our sin. So Jesus is excellent in his sacrifice. 
And finally, Jesus is excellent in position. He is excellent in position. The very last part of Hebrews 1.3 tells us this. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. When Jesus dies, he goes into the tomb. He comes out of the tomb. He resurrects out of the tomb. And then some days later, he ascends into heaven. And what's he do when he ascends into heaven? He sits down at the majesty. He sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This right hand is a place of power, a place of authority, a place of honor. Jesus did not come to North American continent. He sat down at the right hand of the power of God. This is where he is. This is where he is now. There is a man in heaven who intercedes for you and I. He is the victorious king completing the atoning work. The work is done, brothers and sisters. We do not have to atone for our sin at all. He has done all the atoning work. This is what we talked about in Sunday school. This assurance, the assurance of this atoning work. Do we have that assurance? Yes, the Bible gives us clarity that Christ has atoned for our work. It doesn't say that he's still atoning for it. It says that he has atoned. The atonement is done. He has propitiated your sin. He is not propitiating it still. It's been propitiated. It has been satisfied. It has been accomplished. God is satisfied. He's out of the grave, and our Savior sits at the right hand in all power, in all authority, in all honor. Do not fear the White House. Fear the one who sits in power. That's the one we fear. But he is our king. He is our redeemer. This is who he is. The atoning work is done. Hebrews 10, 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Romans eight thirty four, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God and who indeed is interceding for us? This is who our Savior is. He is excellent, brothers and sisters, in his position. Supremely glorious in his position. This is who Jesus is. So how do you and I view Jesus? That's my question. How do you view Jesus? Is he excellent? Is he outstanding? Is he worthy of your worship? Is he worthy of all honor in your life? Or is he just an addition to your life? Is he the box that you just checked? Yep, got Jesus. Yep, got the new Chevy. You know? I mean, is he just an addition to your life? Um, maybe he's the genie in the bottle for you. That when I need something, I go to him. Maybe that's who he is. Or is he more excellent than your job? Is he more excellent than your retirement package? 
Is he more excellent in your 401k or your IRA? Is he more excellent in your idols or your other saviors you run to first? You see, Jesus is the most precious, beautiful thing in this whole world, in this whole universe, in the whole galaxy. He is excellent in every way because he holds it all together. He has created it all. He radiates the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, he is more glorious, more spectacular, more excellent than anything on this planet. And he is ultimately glorious because he is excellent in his love for you and I. He is excellent in his grace towards you and I, his mercy for us, and his compassion for us, and much, much more. This is how the Hebrew writer starts this, of how excellently glorious Christ is. So, as we come to the table now, today may you and I see the excellency of Christ and his atoning work for you and I. But I have to first, before we come, we have to read. There's a warning. There's a warning in this. And this is what Paul says. And this is where you have to sit today, brothers and sisters, before you come to this table. We've seen how gloriously rich Christ is. But listen, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You must examine yourself. It is not my responsibility to examine your hearts. You have to sit here today and you have to examine your own hearts before you come to the table. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Paul says that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. So we have to examine ourselves. This is the warning, brothers and sisters. If you take communion, if you celebrate the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, you eat and you drink condemnation to yourself. If you are not a believer, you don't, don't take this. Don't feel ashamed. Don't take it. Just let it go by. If you have unrepentant sin, take time. Repent of that sin. If you have something against a brother or sister that you have not made right, don't take this. Don't take this. Be sure you are right with God. So as we pass these elements out, brothers and sisters, take some time to repent of your sin. But take time also to praise God because he has shown us how excellent Christ is and we get to celebrate and we get to remember that excellence right now. So could the uh, Martin and Chad, could you guys come and pass this out?